Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It is Tuesday, Tuesday, the 23rd of May, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for um, tuning in. Let's all now attune our hearts to the Word of God. We turn to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It's always a good opportunity to ask where in the Word are you today? We find ourselves in Psalm 55, verse 22. And before we read it, let me just ask this. Have you ever been involved in a slip and fall? Have you ever been involved in a slip and fall? Did you know that there was actually a verse of scripture related to the slip and fall? Mm-hmm. This is it. Psalm 55, verse 22. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Mm-hmm. There you go. You can put it in your pocket today and carry it around. So um, let's draw this into the mind's eye for just a moment. Uh, can you see it? Can you imagine the scene? There's a person trying to carry a load that's entirely too wieldy and cumbersome for one person. So, you know, I'm like envisioning like packages and boxes and bags and right. It's that's almost like a Dr. Seuss visual here, like all piled up to the sky, this pile of sky high burdens. And he's, you know, he's looking up because you want to, as it's swaying back and forth, you want to sort of use your eye to manage which direction your body should go to keep your pile aloft. But of course, If you're looking up, you're not looking down, and you can't keep that necessary eye on the uneven ground in front of you. And so, yes, we all see it coming. We all call out, look out, but it's too late. He has tripped over something very small, and it has all come tumbling down. Those burdens he was trying to carry on his own, well, yeah, we recognize them because we're all trying to carry some unwieldy pile of burdens today. What's in your... What's in your giant stack of things you're trying to carry around, your your boxes and bags and burdens, worry, pain, fatigue, illness, anxiety, depression, fear, political discord, anger, Financial hardship, grief, guilt, marital tension, family distress, work stress, adverse traumatic events, death. The burdens that weigh us down are many. And for lots of people, they're piling up. Are yours piling up? Are you trying to carry around that unwieldy pile right now? I recognize that many of those burdens are inevitable and they come with the living of these days. 
the psalmist knew the realities of your life and mine. And the psalmist says, give your burdens to the Lord. He will take care of you. He will not permit you to slip and fall. So how can we be sure of this? How can we be sure of this today? Jesus actually offers up the answer. He says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus carries the burden. Jesus shoulders the weight. So can you see that? Can you bring that image into your mind's eye? Can you see Jesus carrying your burdens and even carrying you? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He's talking here about the reality of people whose lives are yoked to Christ, living no longer under the burdens of sin and death and the weightiness of this life, but living in communion with Christ. And he says, it's a total change of perspective. He says, for this light momentary affliction. Now, what light momentary affliction is Paul talking about? He's talking about worry and pain and fatigue and illness and fear and political angst and discord and financial hardship and grief and 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 family distress and work stress and adverse traumatic events and death. Paul's talking about all those things, and he describes them as a person yoked to Christ. Paul describes them as light and momentary afflictions that are preparing us for an eternal what? Weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, that giant pile of unwieldy burdens, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let us uh, not bear the burdens of this world so much as we allow Christ to bear the weight for us. Let us walk yoke to him today. Our friend Nick Pitts is going to join us next And we're going to turn our attention to some of the headline news of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Nick Pitts is back. You can find him at thebriefing.net. You can also find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? How long have you been up already, Daddy? Oh, you know, it, is there really, what's this uh, up, down, is there it's sleep? all the same is there... to me right now. <laughs> She's good. Y'all are good. It's all good. All, all good in the world. I am running on so little sleep, but so much joy. So all is good in the world, and it's another day that the Lord has made, and he's he has like uh, filled this world with a ton of Easter bunnies baskets, and so I want to search for all those little eggs and and That's find okay. all the goodness that he's got for me. I love that. I love that. Um, okay, so you and I have both read this. Um, I don't even hardly know what to call it. Teenagers um, would rather give up the right to vote than give up social media. Yeah, it's it's absolutely shocking. 59% of young adults with TikTok accounts said that if forced to choose between their social media or voting rights for one year, they would give up the latter voting rights. And so what we're saying so is I'm that- thinking in 2024, let's just do that. 
<laughs> yeah, like similar to George Strait, just give it away. Yeah, right. <laughs> give it all away. Um, yeah, it's it, you know, there's always been trade offs in life, right? Uh, like uh, Tom Sowell has the has the famous phrase that ever since the Garden of Eden, life has been a series of trade offs. There's no such mm. thing as perfection. Um, we're all having to give up something, right, uh, for a better something, something more that we desire. There was some interesting little research that was uh, surrounding that around like nine in 10 Americans are, are willing to tr- uh, trade away a percentage of their uh, money they take home for the sake of more meaning at work. Right. Um, uh, one of my mm. favorites, especially here in Dallas, because we've got about an average commute of 32 minutes here in the DFW each way, uh, 20% would be, would give up between one and 5% of their salary for a shorter commute. So you're saying a, a sizable chunk of the salary just for the sake of having a shorter commute. That's a, uh, we all know those trade-offs that are a part of it. And what's kind of interesting is the, you, you see, there's, we would, I would associate, at least for me, I would associate greater value of being home with my family and not being in a car. Um, I would, I would have that as a greater value and worthy of the trade-off. The idea of being on TikTok, uh, though, and trading my right to vote shows the value that individuals place on not even seeing content from their friends, but seeing content, just entertaining, being entertained more than having an opportunity to be able to shape and to love your neighbor through the political system. That to me is, is, is shocking, but also reveals an indictment on the low value that younger Americans place on this democratic experiment known as America. I think that the conversation about trade-offs is a really good one, and we we should probably each just spend a little time thinking about the trade-offs that we've already made that limit the trade-offs that we might now make in the future. So um, I just think that's a good exercise for each one of us to consider um, and think our way through as we are thinking about how, how we might talk with young adults about this question. I mean, maybe each of us could find a young adult, um, somebody who's 18 to 23 or 24, and just ask them this question. Um, would you would you trade the right to vote in 2024? Would you trade the right to vote in 2024 in order to keep your TikTok account? That's, that is a good trade-off question to ask a young person today. And if you would answer that question differently, <clears throat> it might be because you don't have a TikTok account. I do not have a TikTok account. So I would certainly not be willing to trade anything for my TikTok account, seeing as I see it as of zero value. Um, so, but of what value is it? What trade-off would they be willing to make? If it's short of trading the right to vote, what would they trade in order to keep their TikTok account? Would they trade um, all of their personal security in the future? Because that's a trade-off they're making unwittingly um, as, mm-hmm. as China is harvesting uh, their their data through their TikTok accounts. All right, we're going to come back in just a moment, and Nick is going to tell us um, why uh, why a whole segment of the population has been warned not to go to Florida. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Nick Pitts is back. All right, Nick, the uh, NAACP says um, people shouldn't travel to the state of Florida. They have issued a travel advisory. What, what is going on here? Yeah, fascinating. Over the weekend, Florida NAACP, uh, uh, one, issued the travel advisory, two, and, and just kind of was blunt and said they're openly hostile towards African-Americans, people of color, LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, they said that the state devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. And a large part of this is dating back to uh, Governor uh, Ron DeSantis and his uh, recent policy decisions he's made and legislation that's been passed and signed by him relative to uh, educational measures and uh, what's being taught in the classrooms. We'll have a and you might be able to remember some of that. And uh, he thinks it's a uh, that's just there's been some that have said DeSantis is worthless and empty soul of a person, according to Representative Jamal Bowman, for some of those decisions he's made about classroom curriculum. But just a cursory look at uh, the U.S. uh, history that's being taught in Florida. This is all public information, and you can find it online. I mean, your students are expected to learn, quote, how Jim Crow laws influence life for African-Americans and other racial ethnic minority groups. Um, uh, students are also expected to, quote, compare the effects of black codes and um, and analyze sharecropping system and peonage's uh, practice in the United States. What they're not going to have because of some measures that have been taken is students aren't going to have, aren't going to study, quote, black queer theory, close quote, and quote, cultural aesthetics of the black movie Panther, a uh, black Panther movie rather. Um, so this is all stemming from that. But it's fascinating, though, because, you know me, Carmen, I'm, I'm just a, a curious cat, as, as sometimes I've been accused of. And uh, so I wanted to look at some of the research of how African-Americans, as well as other, um, as I say, communities of color have been dealing, um, have been working in Florida. And 319,000 people moved to Florida last year. It's the biggest of any state. Um, last year, they've ranked higher than New York relative to friendliest state in the U.S., but not higher than Tennessee and Texas, I might add. And another study looked at black uh, best studies for black entrepreneurs and Sunshine State ranks above New York and Washington. So it seems as though there's just a, I don't know if it's I don't know what the motives are of these individuals that are leading um, these organizations, but it, it, to me, it seems a little bit off and it kind of raises the question as to what else is motivating and animating uh, this particular travel advisory. Yeah, I remember travel advisories related to, uh, you know, all kinds of things in particular states, um, baseball and, and, you know, and other things in recent years Um Obviously, uh, the Orlando Magic, um, the Miami Heat, uh, there are some major league teams of various uh, varieties in the state of Florida, the Tampa, not least of which the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like there's um, there's there's some major uh, sports franchises in the state of Florida um, and some major media people who live and work in the state of Florida who also um, many of them happen to be black. And so I guess I wonder, you know, I I guess I just wonder when you when you attempt to racialize um, everything um, 
and you know, and you start saying, you know, this particular state in the union is not a safe place for people of this particular variety to be. That just that just seems unnecessarily divisive. Um, and so I, I just would lift it up that way, and I would encourage us as people of faith to remember that in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, uh, male nor fe- female, slave nor f- free, black nor white. Like any of the dividing walls of hostility that we build up between us as human beings are brought low in Christ. And so let's be the people who are bringing low those um, dividing walls of hostility, not raising them up. Um, oh, completely agree, Carmen. Yeah. yeah, and I just have one more thing. Like uh, Again, I love how you're bringing the mind of Christ to today's news. What we're continuing to see within trends is just the increasing racialization of American politics and into American life. We can bemoan it or we can recognize that at the end of the day, we've just got to deal with it. And our, as Christians, our, our mentality is still the same. Our marching orders are still the same, according to Paul in Romans, is seek to live at peace with all men. I want to be curious, and but I also want to be compassionate. The compassionate doesn't mean I have to agree with everything, but it does mean I need to listen to my brothers and sisters who, who do have concerns. And I, I want to be compassionate and I want to listen closely, but it doesn't necessarily mean I have to agree wholeheartedly. So, Nick, um, is it possible for me to, um, without it sounding like an endorsement or being overly political, is is it okay for me to say that the only current candidate for the office of the presidency of the United States that I've ever met, been been photographed with, which may or may not help him, I don't know, uh, and who has appeared on this show is Tim Scott. So there you go. Well, I, I will, I I will just throw that into the mix. Bump. There is such a thing <laughs> as a Carmen bump. I, for one, have only been blessed and only been encouraged and spirits have been lifted by being with uh, Carmen. So I think that there is merit to that. I'm excited to see. Uh, I'm excited right to see him enter the race. Low. I just, yeah. I just love him as a person. I love him as a person. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Tim Scott. I yeah. love I love the line that he's using, the grievance or greatness. And so he's choosing greatness. And I, I find that very compelling. Yeah, he is very compelling. All right. Uh, let's talk about horse racing for just a moment. Um, what in the world is going on in the world of horse racing? I don't think horses are supposed to die at this rate. Like, this seems crazy. There's been a ninth fatality uh, in horse racing since April the 27th. Like, that's not very long ago. And that's a lot of horses. Yeah, what we've what we've seen over the past few years has been coming to light as something that's happened um, in horse racing for a large time, but sunlight being the disinfectant that it is, we're starting to see certain training practices and um, we'll say procedures and medicines that are put into horses that are pushing mm-hmm. them to the limits, but in turn that are causing um, causing them to be right there on the precipice of health um, and thriving and unhealth and not surviving. And it's just absolutely tragic what we're seeing right now. Last year, uh, after the, I believe after the Derby, or actually after that, after the um, triple uh, triple crown races, we saw measures that were enacted to try to get a better handle of the drugs that are being administered to these horses. Um, mm. But it appears as though more measures are needed because we, this is just absolutely tragic to see this kind of um, just just awfulness played out over the headlines as well as even on the racetrack last weekend it's terrible it's terrible it's so sad um magnificent creatures you know there i mean of all the animals that we know are going to certainly exist in the kingdom of heaven horses are among them because we know there's you know at least four at least four horses because we got four horsemen right 
I'm just saying oh, that's yeah. what I got for you today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just think about Proverbs 12 and how the righteous and the unrighteous are to treat the animals that we've been given dominion over. Um, we know that we're to care for these beings because they were made for us. And we were to, uh, to as God cares for us, we are to care for our animals as well, because that's a, a, a key content, a key illumination of the righteousness that's been given to us. How is your dog getting along with your baby? Well, old Freddie is uh, is is a bit of a whiner. He uh, he doesn't like all the attention that's not on him, but he is he is receiving ample amount of bacon um, to compensate for the lack of attention we can give him. So, <laughs> blessings on you, my friend. Have a great day. Uh, it's so great to be with you, Carmen. Likewise, that's Nick Pitts. Uh, hey, check out what what he's doing every single day. Thebriefing.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We'll be right back. All right, we want to continue to uh, encourage and celebrate the U.S. ambulances to Ukraine effort. We have talked about it a number of times here um, on Mornings with Carmen. We are now, as the United States of America... Also, um, allowing for uh, endorsing other countries who are in a position to supply U.S.-built F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. So Russia has responded to that as an unsurprisingly negative way. Russia is now warning the West of a, quote, colossal risk should Ukraine be supplied with F-16 fighter jets um, Russia is saying that could raise the question of NATO's role in the war. President Biden on Friday told the group of seven, the G7, um, that the United States would support a joint effort to train Ukrainian pilots on U.S.-built F-16s. The F-16s would not be supplied directly from the United States, but through third-party NATO allies. Um Yeah, the war in Ukraine continues. We're going to talk next with Luke Moon about what has happened in Bakhmut. Um, If you are online, you can see drone footage of the city of Bakhmut, and it's basically um, a hollowed-out shell uh, of a city. And um, and we're going to talk about that uh, next. And we do this because the world matters and people matter and what's going on in the world matters because God's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, he's got you and me, brother and sister, in his hands, but he's also got the whole world in his hands. And so you and I um, raise our awareness to the concerns of the world because we are concerned about the things and the people who are of concern to the Lord our God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Luke Moon is back. You can find him at thephilosproject.org and providencemag.com. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Carmen. All right, could you read us in on what has happened in Bakhmut and the two different narratives being um, projected? Well, uh, in Bakhmut is a, is a city in eastern Ukraine. 
And it's one that has been fought over for the last, man, for a while, last over, over a month. Uh, and both the Russians and Ukrainians are declaring that they have uh, succeeded in stopping the other and taking control of the city. So the Russians uh, had it really celebrated over the weekend. Uh, they're, they're claiming that they took control of the city. Uh, which is not a huge city. It's not particularly strategic, but it's, you know, it's one of those cities, you know, in any kind of war history, there's all the, always the cities that, for whatever reason, become those kind of the epic place where the conflict uh, gets some special attention. Um, and and this city is like that. And, and the Russians claim victory. The Ukrainians are saying uh, no, they did not. We actually pushed them back, and they, you know, the right flank and the southern flank are are, um, you know, were were destroyed. And I mean, it, there was massive loss of life uh, in this city. I mean, tens of thousands of soldiers on both sides were, were killed uh, in this fighting. And but it, as of right now, it remains unclear who who actually uh, has, has the upper hand. Fog of war, I guess. Yeah, I, um, I was reading this and looking at the pictures of the drone footage um, uh, from Bakhmut, and the Lord brought to mind uh, the passage in Jeremiah where God tells Jeremiah to you know, buy land not only in a war zone, but in a war zone where um, you know, you've already been overthrown. You know, God asks the prophet Jeremiah to buy land in Jerusalem. Well, why? Um, Because God is going to restore it. There will be a day will come. A day will come when, you know, when God will redeem. And so I'm trying to keep a redemptive viewpoint um, on what is happening in Ukraine, even as I prayerfully pray for the liberation of those people. I'd love to pivot with you, Luke, to um, a a genuine area of your expertise, and that is the Middle East. I'm reading that um, Hezbollah has been staging war games in Lebanon. Remind us, first of all, um, of the geography. When we talk about Lebanon and we talk about its proximity to Israel, what are we talking about? And who is Hezbollah? And how do you view this staging of war games? So Hezbollah is a... Uh, Shia, which is aligned with Iran, uh, terrorist organization, also a political organization uh, that is now basically in control of the nation of Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon is north of Israel. Um, you know, if you, you read in your Bible, the, the cedars of Lebanon. So Lebanon is a very kind of mountainous uh, region. There's a there's kind of a spine of the mountains, similar like there is in Israel. Um, you know, on one side is the coast, and on the other side is the Bak Valley, and it's it's a so beautiful, and it used to be even more beautiful. It was one, at one time called uh, Beirut was that was the Paris of the Middle East, and it was it was a beautiful city, and unfortunately, through just uh, a lack of um, you know, it, 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 the country is destabilized to the point where it's if it's not called a failed state, it's on its way. It's nearly a failed state. Uh, there, you know, there was a giant uh, blast. Called, you know, it's not really a bomb blast, but it had the equivalent of a bomb blast in the port several years ago that just decimated the port. 
uh, Hezbollah was responsible. They were storing uh, chemicals in that site, and they just basically ignited and exploded. It was the power of not quite an atomic bomb, but in that direction. And the problem was that you had this sudden, uh, and, and Hezbollah was responsible, and yet there was no consequences to Hezbollah for that. And so basically over the year, last few years, Hezbollah has become increasingly emboldened by just the lack of, like, there's no one left in the country to kind of resist their power. And so, you know, right now they're uh, doing war games um, and, you know, preparing for, you know, the assault from Israel. And, you know, when you're standing on the Israeli side, and I was there a couple weeks ago looking into Lebanon and and the talk on the Israeli side is, you know, Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets aimed at Israel at any moment they could launch them. And then on the other side, you know, I've been on on the Lebanese side in Lebanon saying, you know, Israel is going to invade at any moment. We have to be ready. And so you know, not to say that those are morally equivalent, but there is this perception on both sides that the other side is coming soon to get them kind of thing. And mm. it just, it, it leads to a lot of tension. And uh, the, the problem is, you know, when war happens, not if, but when war happens, uh, it will, it will really have a, you know, it will, it will further decimate a country that's already on the brink of failing. I mean, they have, uh, fuel crisis, uh, electric crisis. They, you know, people don't have uh, electricity 24 hours a day. Sometimes it will be only like five or six hours. I mean, this is this this is a country that just a decade ago was was a proper normal country with, you know, had the lights on and plumbing and all, like all that kind of stuff. And there's been run on the banks and. Basically, anybody with means, uh, particularly uh, the Christians in the country, it's one of the it's it's one of those countries that it has a, about thirty five percent of the population is Christian, and a bunch of them have just left. I mean, they haven't, you know, uh, gotten rid of their citizenship. They could go back if it got better, but nonetheless, uh, they are. It's a it's a really tragic story of you know what what the hate of Israel can do to a nation. I mean. I don't use the verse very often because it kind of comes off sometimes as, as cliche, but, you know, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And it, it really seems like one of the – Lebanon is one of the last countries surrounding Israel uh, that hasn't made made peace with Israel. Jordan and Egypt both did. And once they did that, their countries got a little bit better. And obviously Syria had, a con- had, had war for the last decade, and so they're not in any – uh, big ability to, to to negotiate with Israel, but they were actually before you know the the um, uh, the civil war in in Syria. They were Israel and Syria were in talks to uh, basically come to a peace deal, uh, but Lebanon has not done that. It's it, currently it's illegal uh, to for for people to travel from Lebanon to to Israel. Uh, there was a guy a few years ago who who participated in a conference that we held in New York, and he was filmed uh, with uh, with an Israeli. There was a picture of him with an Israeli, and he went to jail for two years because of that. So it's a it's a really problematic place.
and I really think we should pray for pray for the peace of Lebanon that their rulers will will actually make peace and it can stabilize and become a good place. Yeah, and we certainly want the region to to be stable and to be stabilized, and we certainly want to be people who pray not only for the peace of Jerusalem but for the peace of Israel and um, and Lebanon in proximity to Israel and the ultimate involvement of Iran um, should war come to pass. And so they're just it's a very complicated region. Uh, we always appreciate you sort of un, untangling the ball of twine. Um, that uh, that is the Middle East. Um, let's pivot to Iran, um, and we have a number of things to talk about in relationship to Iran. But because it you know just came up in terms of Iran is the the power and the energy behind Hezbollah. Hezbollah being the terrorist organization that basically now runs the nation of Lebanon. Um, so let's um, let's focus in Luke on one thing, and then after a break, we'll come back to a number of other things. Um, bring us up to date on what is happening in terms of Iran's nuclear capability, particularly now this note that they have bunkers that are so deep that U.S. Um, munitions would not be able to uh, to penetrate them. Yeah, I mean, that has I mean, there, I think the U.S. and the Western world was was delusional in their attempt to to try and get Iran from obtaining a nuclear bomb. Uh, the JCPOA, which was the deal signed, uh, w- w- the agreement between the United States, um, European allies, and Iran, uh, basically, you know, was was under the premise that they will in, they will only enrich uranium to the point of being able to use it for um, basically nuclear power plants. Uh, and the thing was, like, they were offered nuclear power plants by nations. Uh, Russia offered to give them a nuclear power plant, but instead, they they wanted to make their own uranium. Do they want to make their own uranium? Strangely, to the point where it was beyond the need for for nuclear power plant, and it was clear that they wanted to have nuclear weapons. And um, and so they're they've been working on that and. Um, they're they're at any moment, really at any moment, have the capacity to put together uh, a nuclear bomb, nuclear warhead. Uh, they have the delivery mechanism, you know, and it's it's going to be one of those situations, Carmen, when when Iran gets a nuclear weapon, not 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 if, but when, um, that will lead to the other nations that have had an antagonistic relationship with them to also get nuclear weapons. I think I've brought up on this show several times that when I was, I was a, I was a missionary at the time when, uh, I, when Pakistan and India both got nuclear weapons and they got them about, you know, a couple months apart from each other. And I remember us, the YWAM, I was with YWAM at the time and we were pulling our teams, uh, out of, India and Pakistan because it looked like that they were going to start throwing guns at each other, and it was it was uh, it was very serious, and uh, they ultimately did not. Um, but it was uh, it was really scary. It looked like they might do that, and so I think part of it is us being able to you know be. Uh, I think we have to be clear headed about what are the expectations on, but I also think we have to. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge when when uh, uh, Iran gets nuclear weapons. 
uh, let's be sober in our judgment. Let's be prayerful in our approach. Um, you know, let's not, it's so tempting to put our heads in the sand and ignore what is happening halfway around the world. Um, but halfway around the world is not too far any longer for weapons to travel. And weapons um, of this kind and caliber um, that uh, that would be detonated in any part of the world would have an effect on all of us around the world. And so even as the G7 was meeting this week in, um, in, in Hiroshima, Japan, um, we are mindful of the power of nuclear weapons and we are um, also mindful of the hands in which those weapons now find themselves around the world. So uh, we're going to come back in just a moment. We're going to continue to talk about developments in Iran. And then we're also going to talk about what's going on in China, which is calling in loans issued to dozens of countries around the world. What what would it look like? How would the world change if China um, literally owns nations, other nations that cannot repay Uh, their Belt and Road loans um, to the communist country. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We're continuing our conversation with Luke Moon. You can find him at philosproject.org, also providencemag.com. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Uh, a number of organizations who are concerned internationally with with justice and the way that states uh, employ their power against their own people. Um, They are all raising the alarm with increasing fervor in relationship to Iran, which is uh, seems to be on an execution spree. Um, Luke, what what has happened in recent days and um, what what's either sort of behind it or related to it? Well, Carmen, uh, last year there was a massive protest uh, as a result of a young woman who was basically killed by the morality police in Iran for not wearing the hijab, not wearing the the Islamic head covering. Uh, That led to protests all across the country. Uh, and it was one of those moments where it's like, well, maybe this this time, you know, the, the regime will fall. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the, the leader really didn't rise up 
sufficiently, uh, or if they were, they they got you know disappeared, if you will. And since then, uh, the Iranian regime has just gone on a major execution spree. Anybody who has been involved with, um, particularly anybody high profile that kind of appeared to be you know a leader or had the potential to be a natural leader of the Iranian people. Uh, they were publicly executed, and uh, there's just been a wave of public executions. And it's you know it's largely uh, an intimidation factor uh, because there are you know there are also lots of people uh, who have who have just who haven't been publicly executed but uh, died at the hands of the police, um, and you know are just basically given back to their family. Um, as you know, oops, sorry, they died uh, in prison. Um, and then there's the public executions. Both are intended to uh, basically stop any kind of attempt at at freedom. Uh, and and uh, and so it's it's really is you know Iran's it's such a tragedy because you know that one of the things is um, that. There's the outward appearance of faith, meaning like, you know, the, a lot, most of the people in Iran will, will wear the uh, Islamic head covering. They'll appear to be Muslim. But, you know, the fertility rate of Iran is, is like less than that of Italy. Uh, and one of the things that that shows is that, you know, basically religious people have kids and non-religious people don't. And the fact that Iran's fertility rate is is on par with with Italy, where where you know it's basically been post Christian for a while, it, it's that the people are just pretending to be Muslim, and they're not interested. And you have a, a theocratic regime, really a theocratic regime, in Iran, and it just I think it, it it's. At some point, it will obviously collapse, but um, until then, it's, it just leads to a lot of, of suffering, and there's a, no freedom of conscience. Um, mind you, the, the, on the bright side, Carmen, is that it is the place with the fastest-growing church in the world. Um, there's, there, is a, there is a rising uh, number of followers of Jesus in the nation of Iran, and, and hopefully that will make an impact. I, I can't help but think it will, because, you know, all the salt and light suddenly appearing in that land is going to push back the darkness. Yeah, let's be raising ardent prayers for our Christian brothers and sisters um, in Iran, and let's be praying that God blesses them with children, because um, if the religious people in Iran are the ones having kids, then that ensures the future of the theocratic regime— um, unless God sends a wave of Christian revival. And so that's what uh, we're certainly praying for on that front. Um, let's pivot briefly um, now to China. Uh, I understand that China is now calling in loans around the world to dozens of countries from uh, Pakistan to Kenya. These are countries that cannot afford to pay their debt um, to China. What's what's going on here, Luke? Yeah, so basically China made loans uh, to build major infrastructure projects in these countries, Pakistan, Kenya, Sri Lanka, uh, Honduras, um, you know, basically all over the world, major infrastructure. Uh, I remember I was in Mali one year um, 
and on this really amazing road. And it was, you know, it was being uh, built uh, and funded by the Chinese. It was a Chinese construction company that was building it. It was mostly Chinese workers, um, you know, and it was actually one of those, I, I was talking to some people there and they were really frustrated by the fact that they had, when they, you know, signed the deal to build the road, they expected it would supply, you know, uh, the local Malians with jobs. And instead it was, it was not that at all. The Malians were basically, you know, the laborers, whereas all the engineers and any of the management and anybody, anybody who, who got a proper wage, uh, they were, you know, they were all Chinese. Uh, well, all of those, uh, those projects, you know, were funded by, by debt and they cost billions of dollars and China has decided that it, uh, China's having a little bit of a, you know, there's some, some headwinds on their economy. And so they're calling in some of those loans and, you know, it, some of them are so significant that they would take up uh, 50% of, of the, uh, the money in the banks of the nation. So the ability of the nations like Sri Lanka or Pakistan to pay, um, you know, things like pay for gas and pay for uh, electricity and some of these like big commodity type things uh, would would be gone. And that is it has the potential and will likely lead to uh, default. And if it's not default, significant. uh, like, you know, it would lead to significant unemployment, um, inflation, uh, that kind of thing. It really has the ability to destroy these economies. And, you know, in a sense, what China would, would do is they would basically, uh, you know, own sec- sections of, the, of these nations. Um, and the thing is, like the U.S., we did this actually back in the '60s. We had a big effort where we where we did a lot of infrastructure projects all over the world. Um, and I, there was—I don't know if you remember this, uh, Carmen—but there was some big movements both in the '90s and and the the 2000s of debt forgiveness. Um, and that was debt forgiveness for those projects that the U.S. and the EU and the European countries and Japanese and stuff like that had done on these nations. Uh, and it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and, but it, it, these, these projects haven't been able to kind of lift up these economies enough to where they can get, uh, you know, basically pay them back normally. So it's, it's really kind of creates this catch-22. Okay, so let's talk about that spirit of forgiveness. Um, the United States was willing to um, to forgive debts, and the U.S. forgave um, debts. Other Western countries also participated in that debt forgiveness program. Um, that spirit of forgiveness obviously comes from a Christian worldview. Does China, as a nation, is there a spirit of forgiveness in their worldview? Well, no. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. The spirit of forgiveness is a very uniquely kind of Christian thing, uh, and it's it's not there in China. It's not it's not in Confucian thought. It's not in in the you know, like in you know the degree to which China China's Confucian. It, it's not there. But also, like it's you know in, in the communist framework, there is just power. Yeah. Everything is raw power, and so. 
that power kind of uh, imbalance between a superpower like China and a, you know, basically impoverished third world nation, it will will really have a significant negative impact on people. Real. Yeah, change, change the face of the world. Um, the spirit of forgiveness, uniquely Christian. Um, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. I completely ran over um, the last break, so um, I apologize to those of you uh, listening. Um, but we'll pick up in hour two here of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for joining us in hour one. You can always re-listen to it or share it with others at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.